All right, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Let's pray. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. All right, it's good to see you. I didn't, actually was really ready to go, and then I was have, got having too much fun, so that's how it happens sometimes. Uh, it's good to see you. I have one question. Why do we ring the bells during the words of institution? Great question. It's a doorbell. It's just like the doorbell on your front door. Ding dong, Jesus is here. That's the reason we ring the bells. You should pay attention. There's really important things happening. And so, you know, we'll do this a little later, but Pastor Vitt will raise the blood of Jesus and say, pay attention, this is for you. Ding, 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 ding. And then he'll put it on the altar and he'll say, really, Jesus just came down from heaven. He's right here and he loves you. He used the sacrifice for your sins. Altar sacrifices go together, ding, ding, ding. And then he'll say, if it's really Jesus, then we should adore him. And you kneel and adore, worship what's in the cup. That's either pure heresy or the truest thing that could happen. But we'll get to that in a few weeks. But nice question in advance, just so you wouldn't be nervous between now and then. So here we go. I'm going to talk about your prayers a little bit. There's nothing that can make a person feel more guilty than saying, how are your prayers going? So how are your prayers going? <laughs> You don't have to answer out loud, but uh, I'm just curious about it because prayer is a thing that is easy and hard, but most people struggle with it. So I want to think about if your prayers are hard, or maybe they don't happen at all, we want to talk about why that would be, and then we can talk a little bit about how you might do a bit better. You know, not like this, but because saying your prayers is really good for you. So we'll try to work through that and see if that happens today. So, you know, why are your prayers difficult? Uh, the first answer is right here. Got it? Why are your prayers difficult? Why are they so hard? So, the world and the way it was before prayers had structure and set content. Especially, this is especially apropos in Wheaton where when I first even arrived at St. John and I read prayers from a book, people were stunned on some spectrum of stunned to insulted that I would use somebody else's prayers. I shouldn't, I need to pray from my heart. That was told to me more than once when I got here. And I thought to myself, why? Have you actually looked at my heart? <laughs> why would you want that exposed? Uh, it's not going to be good for anybody. <laughs> but you know, here's the problem. I want a pony, give me a pony. 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 That's how... Uh, we often pray if we're left to ourselves. And that's one of the reasons our prayers are so hard because, you know, why would anybody move from a pony country to a non-pony country? Just checking. You have to be a certain demographic to pick that up. Is over here, maybe. It's an old Seinfeld, but you can watch it someday. The people don't even know who Seinfeld is anymore, but what are you going to do? I know you're all Sopranos fans, so, you know, you know why are your prayers so hard? Because we're sort of transactional about it. And then if we don't get what we want, we think prayer doesn't work. And then if it doesn't work, we might as well stop praying. And then we stop praying and things go even further south than they are already. So we might just ask ourselves whether was that really the point? Or how did we get to that idea that prayer was some sort of transaction? Or, you know, how does that, how does that work? And we can talk about that a little bit, but I wonder at least in the first analysis, if you can, if you can try to give that up a bit. Um, of course, if you need a pony, you should be asking Jesus for it. But let's sort of see if we can, we can work through it. So just, just sort of put that on the side. If you, um, one of the reasons your prayers are so hard is you think, I think it's this transaction. So Jesus and I are doing a deal. That couldn't possibly be right. That couldn't possibly be right. So we have to think about it um, in a little bit of a different way. So one reason your prayers are difficult is because it's deal-making. But there's another reason prayers are hard, and this one much more theological, because prayer is war. You have uh, something from Abba Agathon. You always want to listen to the old men and the old women in the church. They will steer you in the right direction. There is no effort comparable to prayer to God. So it's this one, it's on the bottom, just the bottom right. 
Abba Agathon, one of the church, uh, the Desert Fathers. In fact, whenever you pray, whenever you want to pray, hostile demons try to interrupt you. Well, there's a reason not to pray, because if you start to pray, the demons will come. But the demons are there anyway, so what difference does it make? Of course, they know that nothing but prayer to God entangles them. So your prayers entangle the demons. Isn't that interesting? So when you say your prayers, you go to war. Now, you might be a little bit afraid of that to begin, but it's probably better for you to just grow up and start to entangle the demons. Because they're there anyway. And so you might as well do your part. But it's exhausting. Certainly when you undertake any other good work and persevere in it, you obtain rest. But prayer is a battle all the way to the last breath. So why are your prayers so hard? Why are your prayers so hard? Well, one reason is we don't exactly know what we're doing. We're trying to make a trade, and then our trade doesn't work, and then the Lord says, I mean, we weren't making a trade. That's not what we were doing. So one reason is we're a bit, we, we think of it as a transaction, even earning things sometimes. But then, uh, you know, another reason is, is that it's on a whole different level. When you pray, you've entered the world of, uh, or you've recognized, you're always, always in the world of spirits, but you, you've recognized this epic battle between God and Satan. And if you don't believe in Satan or you don't believe in demons, you should. Your life will be much truer if you do. You'll understand things better. So, you know, why are your prayers hard? Because you try to pray and then the demons resist you. Now, a bit more, and we've done a little bit of this, but the one that has a little bit of color on the front, grab that one. Should be one with some color on it. Lutherans should talk like this. They don't enough, and that's one of the reasons... Uh, we're impoverished sometimes. Uh, you shouldn't, you know, get hives anytime a Catholic gives you some good advice. In fact, we need people who will talk to us this way. Father Fortea, do the demons have a plan when tempting you? Now, we've talked about temptation already a little bit, but now how your temptations and your prayers go together. Remember, and I said this to you, you have a demon right here that follows you around like a guardian angel follows you around. A demon is a spiritual being that possesses greater intelligence than ours. So they're really smart. Therefore, in temptation, a demon tries to enter into a conversation with the person he's <clears> tempting. <throat> in a few weeks, Jesus, the first week of Lent, the gospel reading is always the devil coming to Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't engage in a conversation. Jesus simply quotes scripture. Very important. If you engage a demon, you'll never win. You'll largely be captured. This is why witchcraft is so bad, incantations, um, Wicca, occult, pagan sacrifice, the whole shot. It's an engagement with the demons. We talked about this at the point of sin and temptation. But just remember, you know, you, you're in this constant struggle. You know, why is it hard? The demons resist you. Where are the demons? They're right next to you. If a person being tempted resists and never considers the temptation, even for a moment, then it is a one-sided conversation, and the demon speaks but gets no answer. His words are ignored. And then this next bit I've actually told you about. I'll just shorten it so I don't have to read it. But basically, a demon sizes you up. You all have particular weaknesses. I do, too. Over the course of my life, I kind of know there's four or five big things that I know temptations are going to come to me. You know, I, I know where my weaknesses are. And the desert fathers and mothers say... Something like this. They don't say it quite like this, but they say, your life is like a sine wave. And uh, when you're here, you think the world is fabulous and all is well. But uh, you actually can actually begin to sense. Usually people don't sense the valley until they're there. It's my, I'm miserable. Nothing's working. But one of the marks of spiritual maturity is to be able to see, feel the downturn. And you can feel the downturn when the things that are particular to you reemerge in your life. Classic things, sex, drink, money, gossip. 
right? Whatever it is for you, we talked about this at the temptation point, but whatever it is for you, one of the marks of maturity in the spiritual life is you can see him coming and, of course, not engage them. Protect yourself. How do you protect yourself? Remember your baptism. Go to the Eucharist and say your prayers. So the point of a demon is to capture you, to move you to the other side, to entangle you. You flip the script, and with your prayers, you entangle the demon. So you can read this maybe a little bit. Um, and you can be tempted to do horrible things. You can also be tempted to do really good things. If you turn the page, you just turn over on the other side. Top of the page. A demon knows that tempting a nun to neglect prayer would probably not be fruitful, but tempting her to pray excessively and neglect her work has a higher likelihood of success. That's scrupulosity. Pray and pray and pray so much you get nothing done. So Augustine, do a good work and you pray twice. Go to the last paragraph. Uh, maybe I should read the second last paragraph. The examples given above of temptations directed toward people of prayer and virtue. The man given over to vice, who habitually commits mortal sins, on the other hand, has little protection. Now this doesn't mean that people given to vice are going to suffer. They actually might enjoy their life quite a lot. Remember in screw tape, in the screw tape letters where he says, there was a man who had a very happy life and he woke up one morning in hell and was surprised to find himself there. You know, okay. It doesn't mean the people who are given to vice suffer all the time. In fact, the Psalms, why do the wicked prosper? They prosper because the world is wicked. It's easy. Without the armor of God's grace, his spirit presents numerous flanks that are unguarded and exposed to temptation. His passions are easily incited by the action of demons. This is why we pray the Our Father. And we make the sign of the cross that deliver us from the evil one. Even though we're free to resist temptations, we need to constantly ask the Father's protection and deliverance. So there's a plus. This is why the Lord has given each of us a guardian angel to counter the evil inspirations of the devil with inspirations of goodness and virtue. You have a guardian angel who stays with you every moment of your life. It's nice. But then this. It's very important. So why should you pray? I mean, not to get a pony, or at least if you want a pony, just pray to get a pony and see what happens, right? But here's this. Temptation is incompatible with prayer. So already two things that, that praying does for you. One, it entangles the demons. And two is, it protects you, builds a barrier against the demonic. This is, building a wall is hard. I often think of my own prayers as pushing against a wall like this. You can't, um, yeah, you can't even see me doing it. You know, often I think of my own prayers like this. If I push here, you know, till day after tomorrow, I promise you the plasterboard will move just a touch. Imperceptively, you won't be able to see it and I might not even be able to feel it. Actually, I could make it bend just a touch. That's how my prayers are in yours. Prayer creates a barrier against temptation since in prayer our intellects and our wills are centered on God. So why do you pray? Prayer protects you. Why do you pray? Prayer makes your needs known. Why do you pray? You entangle the demons. Eventually a demon can't resist this and leave us alone. But this is, you know, the initial question is why are your prayers so hard? Your prayers are so hard, you know, partly because of you and me. You know, partly because of my own sinfulness, but also because you're working at a bigger task, because you're following the footsteps of Jesus, and so he's invited you into a bigger task. So, last thing, um, before we look at the scriptures, the one that's not colored. You could, I mean, you could make a seminary education out of the margin comments, if you read long enough. But now, see, what I want to disabuse you of is I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks teaching you some techniques for prayer. One of the really interesting things about Jesus is he never teaches techniques. Other rabbis did. You should sit. You should face the east. You should fold your hands. You should close your eyes. You should kneel. You should be silent first. You know, Jesus never gives you any techniques. It's so interesting. 
we'll see what he does give you in a minute. But so growing in prayer is not simply acquiring a set of special spiritual skills. This is what you get sold on the internet or for a long weekend with a guru. Uh, I've been there, I can tell you about it. I saw a man merge with the universe. At least everybody else saw him merge with the universe. I just saw him drooling, but everybody else said, he's merging with the universe. I said, he's drooling. So I didn't get to stay that long. Uh, <clears throat> growing in prayer is not simply acquiring a set of special spiritual skills that operate in one bit of your life. It's about growing into what St. Paul calls the measure of the full stature of Christ. Why do you say your prayers? To be like Christ. Why is it hard? Because Christ's life was hard, and being like Christ is a hard life. It's a really good life. The good things in life are hard. Athanasius on the Incarnation. It's growing into the kind of humanity that Christ shows us. Growing in prayer, in other words, is growing into growing in Christian humanity. I always want to know how much to read here to you. Uh, let's just go. It seems that all Christian reflection, all theology worth the name, began when people realized that because of Jesus they could talk to God in a different way. It was a new experience of Christian prayer that got people thinking. If Jesus somehow makes it possible to talk to God in a new way, then surely there are things we ought to be saying and believing about Jesus. And so theology began to unfold. The newness of prayer is expressed most vividly by St. Paul in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. The new way we talk to God is as Father, and that's a work of the spirit of Jesus in us. It's really interesting. Origin says we don't pray to Jesus. We pray in Jesus. Now, at first, that seems very odd. I mean, from, from little on, we're taught to pray to Jesus. It's true, of course, we do pray to Jesus. But I wonder if you can kind of now think in a different way. We pray, we pray in Jesus. We pray as Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. In the Lord's Prayer, what happens is that Jesus doesn't teach you a technique or even give you a prayer. Jesus gives you his prayer. Jesus gives you the prayer that he says in the morning and the evening to his Father. He lets you pray as if you are God's child. He lets you pray as he does. He lets you pray in him. He lets you be a child of God. Why should you pray? I don't know. Why do you talk to your father or your mother? This is fabulous. That's why you talk to them. Because you have needs and there are things to learn, and you want to play together well, and you're part of the kingdom. I, mean, I hope all these things make your prayers easier, even though it's difficult because you're at war with the world when you do it. Turn the page over, if you will. Just in the first full paragraph toward the end, as you understand Jesus better, as you grow up a little in your faith, then what you want to say gradually shifts a bit more into alignment with what he's always saying to the Father. In his eternal love for the eternal love, out of which his own life streams forth. This, in a nutshell, is prayer. Letting Jesus pray in you. We're going to talk about this in a moment. That Jesus is praying from your heart to his Father. That the Holy Spirit is praying from your heart to your Heavenly Father. This is prayer, letting Jesus pray in you, and beginning that lengthy and often very tough process by which our selfish thoughts and ideals and hopes are gradually aligned with his eternal action. Go to the next paragraph. So it should not surprise us that Jesus begins instructions on prayer by telling us to affirm that we stand where he stands, our Father. Everything that follows is bathed in the light of that, here it is, relationship. So your prayers aren't a transaction, they're a relationship. And you're known by the company you keep, 
And if you keep company with Jesus, um, then there are going to be some really hard things like betrayals and temptations and crosses. But the story ends really well. And you don't even have to wait to the end of the story for it to go really well. And, you know, part of the attraction is to be in a community like this that all pulls on the same end of the rope and says, we want to live in the image of Christ and do really well. That's a blessing to us. How you doing? You okay? So that's just kind of the broad, the broad stroke of where we're going. You pray because it's good for you. Yes, it's difficult. A lot of difficult things are good for you. You pray because you're in love. And being in love is difficult. And you pray because Jesus is inside you and his Holy Spirit is inside you and they're constantly praying for you, trying to push you into your prayers with size too deep for words sometimes. It's glorious stuff. So let's look at a couple of texts, okay? Um, I'm, I've sort of, I've told you most of where we're going for this, um, this thing that says how to pray through Lent. But grab a scriptures, grab a Bible if you would. I need to grab one too because I left mine upstairs. There you go. Manny, there you go. Carol. Thank you. You're the best. Thanks for your help this morning. <laughs> Just grab a Bible and see if you can find this first text, um, John 15, 14 to 16. So Gospel of John, New Testament. You know, you're going to be about a half inch from the back, three-eighths of an inch from the back, John. John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 15, 14 to 16. Already Jesus is on the way to the cross. It's Monday, Thursday. He's washed their feet. He's given them some last instruction. They're undone. He so far is quite calm, but it'll get worse for him by the time he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane. He talks this famous verse about being the vine and were his branches. Then he talks about dying. Maybe it's even good to start with verse 12. So have you got it? In this book, it's 902. You got you all there? This is really fabulous stuff. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay. So love is the chief virtue. Love is the defining factor in anything. <coughs> Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Now this is a startling bit. Uh, Jesus is a rabbi, and they are his disciples. They owe him total obedience. All they know they've learned from him. They show him complete respect. And one, he just freaked them out because he washed their feet. So they, they, just, they don't know what to do with that. Jesus has turned everything upside down. And then, now he's called them friends, which is if you, you know, if you don't live in this culture, you don't really get the sense of what a great big deal that is. In the ancient world, in any kingdom, so Jesus is a king proclaiming the kingdom of God. And in any kingdom in the ancient world, there were a couple of classes of people. There were just ordinary servants who sort of filled the royal grounds and did the work. But there was another class above them, courtiers, who were considered higher level. They were advisors to the king. If you will, they would be like, you know, the cabinet positions in, you know, to the president in America. And those people were called friends of the king, technical term. And the friends of the king could give the king advice on strategy. They could beg favors. They could suggest a course of direction. They weren't, they didn't get to choose principle, direction. It was the king's job to set the direction for the kingdom. But friends of the king could beg favors, give advice, ask for what they needed. So when Jesus says to them, you're my friends, 
Greater love has no one than this than someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I bid you, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, lower class folks. You're not just worker bees. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Servants have no idea what the king is up to. They just follow orders. But you, you all, by virtue of being baptized, uh, you all are friends of the king. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, intelligence, information, policy. All that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So you, by virtue of your baptism, are in the Lord's inner circle, your friends. And you can bring him any concerns you've got. Now, what's remarkable about this is you can not only pray for your own concerns, so you can say, I need this, I need that. You can even say, I want a pony. That's all right. But you can also say, Carol wants a pony. You are there to enrich your friends. You are there to distribute the king's gifts to other people. You are there to keep the kingdom running. You are there to advance the kingdom. Are you sort of getting the drift of this? So your prayers, of course, are not just about you, although they can be about you and they should be about you. But they're not just about you. You, in fact, become a bridge to the rest of the world. Now you should, if you're clever, should be hearing about missionaries going out and the disciples going everywhere and the gospel going forth and you know, the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized and Paul giving a good confession. Yes, this all kind of fits together. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You are friends of that God. So you are intimate. You can ask for what you want. You're even considered a co-worker and your prayers are a gift. They're not a duty in the sense of this shaking of a finger, which is why you feel guilty when your prayers fail. When you don't pray, you should think probably not much more than you've just cheated yourself out of something really fabulous. And Jesus, instead of, you know, the, we always think about God like this. But of course, Jesus is kind of more like this, like, why aren't you praying? Why aren't you driving that new Cadillac I gave you? I gave you a billion dollars. Why don't you invest it? Why'd you dig a hole and put it in the ground? Why? You're a son. Why do you act like you're a servant, prodigal son, right? Jesus is often mystified by the fact that you don't pray. And Jesus says, I, yeah, I know it was hard. I sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know it's hard, but the, good, the hard things are the good things, right? The cross is hard, but it's the good thing. So if you could rethink so you just kind of think about where you've been already. You pray because you pray with Jesus. You pray because you pray as Jesus. You pray because your Heavenly Father loves you. You pray because He wants to hear from you. How do you think the Zager's life should turn out? How should it turn out over there on 4th Street? You know, how should it turn out? You pray because my cat a pony. He doesn't have a pony, but he needs another pony. You know, you pray because... Your friends are ill, you pray because they're struggling, you pray because you're struggling, you pray because you're right here and you can see that you're about to be down here and you pray because you're down here and you'd like to be back up here again. And then when the Lord looks at you when you're not praying, it's a bit like, come on now, life is hard. Let's entangle some demons. Let's put up some walls. Let's live the life we were meant to live. And to encourage you, um, you should know that Jesus eats his own cooking. So turn right to Romans chapter 8. You're familiar with this probably if you've been in church a bit. This would be 944 and 945. But you might be surprised to know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit spend their whole day praying for you. That's what they do. That's why you know, how do I know the saints pray for me? How do I know my father prays for me? How do I know the Blessed Virgin Mother prays for me? Norman Nagel, praying for me today. How do I know? 
because Jesus is praying and Norman does what Jesus does and the Holy Spirit is praying and my Father does what the Holy Spirit does. And all of heaven pulls on the same direction, pulls on the same end of the rope. It's beautiful stuff. How do I know that? Romans 8, look around at about verse 26 and 27 and 28. Likewise, the Spirit, verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, not as we ought, but the Spirit himself prays for us, intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. That's what, I don't know what you have scheduled for the rest of your day, but what the Holy Spirit has scheduled is to pray for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words, with groanings too deep for words. Somewhere, somebody somewhere in Wheaton got the idea that the only prayer worth praying was a prayer out of your heart, and the only prayer that would be heard is if you tell God exactly what to do, if you enumerate all the things that God should do, which of course then limits God's to the solutions that you can come up to for the problems that you can't understand. That's a really bad business model. God's horizons are not limited by your sight line. God sees things far into the distance which you cannot conceive. You should just turn God loose, let him have a go. And sometimes that means you can't even articulate what you know. You're just like, oh God, you know? And the fact that you draw another breath is confirmation of your relationship, the way, you know, a child falls into his mother's arms. And not a lot of talking going on, but everybody knows what's happening. So the Holy Spirit prays for you every day. And he who searches the hearts, so the Holy Spirit is in your heart. Each morning you should pray that the Holy Spirit fills your heart. Each day you should pray for the Holy Spirit to fill your heart. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So all day long, the Holy Spirit prays for you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So this beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit uh, and Jesus himself are praying for you. So kind of, kind of hold on to this now. So, see, things are starting to build up a bit. Pray that Jesus would fill your heart. You pray that the Holy Spirit would fill your heart. You pray that they would pray for you. When you pray, you pray in them and with them. You pray as if you were Jesus, or you could even say more strongly by virtue of your baptism. We did this in Romans 6 because you're intertwined with Jesus. You pray as Jesus does. Jesus encourages you to pray as he does. You know... Hopefully this makes prayer slightly easier, even though the demons would try to stop you in all the classic ways, temptation, busyness, your own sins. Okay, that's how the world works. And then just back up to Luke 11. So go back to Luke. So go left in your Bible to Luke chapter 11. And you see the, the generosity of Jesus then treating you better than he treats himself. So Luke 11, this is page 869. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, hey, teach us to pray. It's not an uncommon thing. I mean, you're a disciple. You want to know what your rabbi is up to. He said to them, hey, whenever you pray, when you pray, say, our Father, hallowed be your name, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. It's interesting, I took you to Luke, which has the truncated version. That wasn't the most helpful thing I could have done. Um, will you find me the parallel that's most full? Meanwhile, I want to ask you, I'll put my, I've been thinking about something. I'll put my own prayers to the test with you. You can test this. There's several ways to think about the Lord's Supper, our Lord's Supper. Well, that's true too. There's several ways to think about the Lord's Prayer, but I've been thinking about this for months now. Whether or not the Lord's Prayer is in fact Trinitarian. So it's terribly important to start with our Father. Just like the creed starts with we, not I, but that's a whole other story. 
Our Father, Jesus and you and me, let's all pray together. Our Father. Now I wonder if it's possible. I just I put this to you as you know as a question, as a man and not a God. <laughs> uh, our Father, who art in heaven, that's the place where Jesus lives. That's the place where the Father lives. Heaven is where the Father lives. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that would be the Father is holy. The name tells you what he is, hallowed, fancy name for holy. So I wonder in the first analysis, I'm just asking you this, I just say I pose this to you as doing a little theology, that our Father who art in heaven names the first person of the Trinity. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now I wonder if it's possible what is the kingdom of God? Have you got a shorthand definition? Say it again. Yes, it is the forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to push it even harder. Um, so it is the forgiveness of sins. So I'm just going to shorthand that to mercy. Or Pastor Bynes gave a great definition in a sermon a few weeks ago. Bynes is, I'm, I'm surrounded by geniuses. I saw Pastor Nelson out there this morning with all those kids, completely calm, up early, going to pack food for the poor. They're all getting along, they're completely calm, he's in complete control, and he's just like, I was like, that guy is solid all the way to the core. It was fabulous just to watch. That's over years and years of hard work. It was just kind of like, just so nice. Mayan's in the same way. When he preaches, I'm just astounded at all the things I don't know, but in a sermon, maybe three back, he said, the kingdom of God is what the Father is doing in Jesus. And I thought to myself, that's a brilliant way of, of putting it. So is it possible that the kingdom of God can just be shorthanded to Jesus? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how is the will then expressed? How is it done? It's done by the Holy Spirit. So I wonder if, you know, this, the Lord's Prayer begins as this sort of Trinitarian rejoicing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the next thing you beg for is bread, which is what your body needs. And then forgiveness, which is what your soul needs. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So the forgiveness you've given to me, I'm gonna to give to everybody else, and that'll restore life and the church and the world and the universe. Now, that of course, pokes the demons. That's a declaration of war. That entangles them. You fired the first shot, it's your fault. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Earth and heaven, restore the entire universe. This is what Jesus is begging for. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. So you beg your rabbi to guide. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's where the sign of the cross is made because the cross is the thing that will deliver you from evil. In the vampire movies, why do they always have a cross? To deliver them from evil. Why should you wear, sorry, I misspoke, I swore at you. I said cross, I meant to say crucifix. Why should you wear, have, hold, hang a crucifix nearby, the body of Jesus? Because there is nothing that is more reprehensible to the, to the, to the demons than Jesus. You know, the suggestion is, you know, one suggestion when you're not thinking about other things, the reason Satan rebels is that he despises the incarnation. That humans would be elevated to such a level by God himself taking flesh. That's the thing that sparked the revolt. Amazing idea, right? And so what do you use to chase the demons away, to entangle them? The body of Christ. Why do we ring the doorbell at the Eucharist? Because Jesus is here and the sanctuary is cleansed from demons. It's the safest place in the world. When that bell rings, 
There's no safer place in the world. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect. Protect us from the evil one. And someday it'll all work out. Kingdom, power, and glory. It'll all be put together. Amen. You're praying for the restoration of creation. And you're praying to the Holy Trinity to do that. Jesus lets you pray along. That the world would end and everything would be restored. It's beautiful stuff. And you pray it as if you're the Son of God yourself. Now, having said that, think about, now think about all the places you've been. You belong to the royal household. You're a friend. God listens to you, and he uses you as a bridge to the rest of the world. Jesus thinks so much of you that you can pray as if you're him, as him. But now look, practical stuff. Keep going here. Um, Luke 11, this is why I gave you the truncated one, because I wanted to go right to 11 without flipping the pages. And Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend, which of you has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Who has a friend like that? That's no friend. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, now just, just think about this. This is, I know, it's Pastor Veith over here. Very famous. But he, <laughs> this is his entire life. How long have you been a pastor? Three years. The last three years of his life have been people waking him up at midnight. They come to him and say, my child has cancer, fix it, Pastor V. They come and say, we don't have any money, fix it, Pastor V. They come and say, you know, my child is completely off the rails. Would you fix that, Pastor V? I lost my job. I'm dying. Fix it, Pastor V. The last three years of his life have been people knocking on his door at midnight. Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. He can either fret about what a bad pastor he is, or he can go next door to Jesus and borrow something for the people at his door. And this, of course, is what you are too, you're borrowers. All day long, people ask me for things I haven't got. I suspect this is the same for you. All day long, people ask you to do things, to give things, to be things, to deliver what you haven't got. And you've asked for it. You follow Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, deliver my stuff to the people. Well, this is a great lesson about being a pastor, which is it's a great lesson about being a Christian, too. If you try to do it on your own, you're done for. You're up all night, and everybody's angry. Nobody gets anything. But in fact, um, you are a borrower. You go next door to Jesus, and you say, uh, what have you got for this friend of mine? And then you and Jesus together sort it out. Jesus loves you and he gives you something for your friends. Now it does put a limit on what Pastor Veith can do. All he's got is what Jesus has given him. I encourage you um, not to be resentful of these things. Although that can happen to a pastor who feels overwhelmed and doesn't have enough resources. But that would be kind of an immature kind of first response. 
And you might have been exasperated too by the people who come to you and ask you for things that you can't possibly give. It is, I mean, it, especially if you're good-hearted, soft-hearted, it's, it's difficult. But see a couple of good things in this. One is, when all these people come to you with their problems that they can't solve themselves, God is giving you the opportunity to pray. He's stimulating you to pray. He's asking you to pray. He's asking you to come borrow. He puts you in the position where you can do the good work, that you can cooperate with him, that you can make the world a better place, that you can show people the way home. God puts people into your lives with impossible demands, and he lets you borrow. And now you should never forget, with your borrowing, you're doing good. And when you do good, you undo Satan's work. So you can begin to see the themes merging here, right? By following Jesus, you're drawn into spiritual warfare. Jesus has one way. Satan has the anti-way. Jesus says, this won't be easy. You say, I know. Jesus says, let's pray. You say, if you have a brain in your head, I'd love to. Right? Because otherwise you're on your own. It's like you have a car, but you walk everywhere. Right? So I give you money, but you never spend it. It's just a bad idea. You should use the things that you've been given. Let's do um, one more. We'll just keep going here, and then we'll go home. Uh, just kind of finish out this, um, this text here. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. This great, then this great text, right? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, you know, if I could just encourage you, you know, when somebody asks you about your prayers or when you think about your prayers, I, if I could encourage you not to have this response. I know I should pray, it's hard to pray, I can't find time to pray, I don't pray, I feel horrible. <clears throat> kind of, maybe you could brush that away today or tomorrow when you come to the Holy Supper. <clears throat> but I wonder if you could think about it instead in this. When troubles come to you or friends come to you with troubles, or you know, when you see yourself you know, sliding down that slope toward temptation and spiritual darkness, it doesn't have to be sin, but it can be dark. Maybe you could say, Jesus is my friend. What a friend we have with Jesus. Jesus is my friend, and that actually means something. In fact, God is my Father, and that actually means something too. And God holds me close and takes care of all my needs, and then he gives me a way to take care of other people's needs. And when I do that, I'm acting like Jesus, my big brother, consonant with the, his Holy Spirit, and pleasing to my Heavenly Father. Maybe you could think about that. Now, it's hard, and we can talk about other things. You do need a little bit of technique. If you don't set a time and a place, you'll never do it. And unless you're quite spiritually advanced, you probably should use a prayer book. Most people I know just aren't that good. Um, they, they wander and end up thinking about all kinds of things that don't have much to do with Jesus themselves or their friends who are in need. Sometimes it works, and you can test yourself. I don't want to be too, but I, most, people, most people need a prayer book. Most people need a help. We'll do some prayers from, we'll do some good prayers next week. Not from famous people, but just great prayers. But people who pray for things that you'd never think about. St. Basil, you know, he has this fabulous prayer where he says, I pray for the slaves in the mines. I pray for those in the galleys of ships being forced to row. I pray for the orphan children. 
I pray for the widows who've lost their husbands and have nowhere to go. I mean, I don't pray like that in my normal prayers. Maybe you do. If you do, just keep going, forget everything I've said. But if you don't, you know, maybe we could tune it up a little bit and think about our prayers getting a bit better. There's all kinds of people who need your prayers. So, you know, kind of basic stuff, morning and evening, you know, people went to the temple or turned towards the temple, morning and evening, the prayer, the Psalms are full of suggestions that you pray morning and evening. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be too fussy about particular phrases or particular formulas, although we'll talk about a couple of those for next week, but especially we'll talk about the names of Jesus. And I don't want you to be too embarrassed. And as Jesus says, even to think that you're heard for your many words. You remember during COVID when we were all sort of locked down, once a week we sort of got together and prayed very short prayers. Jesus, send angels. Jesus, it's me, Scott. Remember, I mean, this is, it doesn't take much but enough to entangle the demons, enough to deliver the gifts, enough to set you on the right direction, enough to remind you that Jesus will have the final say with you, enough never to despair, and enough to know that you can't always see what Jesus is up to, and that should be great comfort to you. You don't always know what Jesus is up to. So anyway, give it a go. If you don't quite know where to start, you know, in the Part of the reason it's, the bulletin's put together that way is you could make a devotion out of it. There's always a prayer at the beginning. There's always a prayer at the end. There are prayers in the middle before and after the Eucharist. There's a collect. There's the Lord's Prayer. You could use just the bulletin from on Sunday um, and the commentary to start your devotional life. Just maybe just take the bulletin tomorrow and pray the prayer at the beginning, pray the prayer at the end if you don't have something else. But otherwise, I can give you some suggestions and we can talk about what else to do. Anyway, it's time. I love you all. You can stick around and chat if you want. If you have questions, write them down. Next week, I want to talk about, maybe I'll give you a little homework, the names of Jesus. And I want to talk about the seriousness with which, I mean, serious in a good way, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give you. If I were you, I would go home and try to find that name of Jesus that is the lottery ticket winner, you know? <laughs> That's what I would do if I were you. So, uh, all right, let's pray, and then you can hang around if you want or go, but I'll see you next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, try to come next week, the first week in February, and then I think I'm gone the following week. Um, so, but try to, we, we've got about five times to go, and then it'll be Lent and everything will be busy. You should be thinking about if you want to join. It'll be on Easter Vigil if you do. Of course, if you're traveling or something on Easter Vigil. But Easter Vigil is better than Christmas. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable. So, uh, and it's a great party. You know, I often go home at, you know, 9 and the party goes till after midnight. And you can stay if you want. I got to work the next day. But uh, it's, it's going to be great. So let me know if you need anything. If you need baptism, instruction, a transfer, confirmation, whatever, wherever you are, whatever you want to do, you should be talking to me now so that we can make sure that everything is the way you want. And if you want to, if you don't want to come along, it's completely fine. The record is four years in a row. Somebody went through and finally joined in the fifth year. So, you know, if you break that record, I'm sure you get a cruise, a Cadillac, you know, <laughs> fly it around the world. I don't know. So it'll be good. Okay. All right. Thanks.